0: Welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. My name is Jefferson Smith. I live in Portland, Oregon. It is Monday, January the 11th. I assume you've subscribed to The Local. We sure'd love it. Tell your friends to subscribe. Do subscribe. Do rate and review. And today, back in the day, January 11th, 1912, workers at the Lawrence Textile Mill held the Bread and Roses strike. Lawrence, Massachusetts was a textile city founded in 1845. At its peak, it had 32,000 men, women, and children all employed. The work in the city's mills was grueling, dangerous, conditions were poor. The city had the fifth highest child mortality rate in the country at the time. And on January 1st, 1912, a new Massachusetts law reduced the working week for women and children from 56 hours to 54 hours. On January 11th, a group of women workers discovered that in compliance with that law, their pay was going to get cut. They staged a walkout and began the Bread and Roses strike. Workers were led by the industrial workers of the world. They demanded a 15% increase in pay, double pay for overtime work, no discrimination against workers who went on strike. The city wasn't too keen on these demands. They sent the local militia to patrol the streets and sprayed protesters with fire hoses. Protesters threw ice at the factories to break windows. One protester was sentenced to prison for 24 years for breaking a window. 24 years! 24 years! And then after an incident when police beat a crowd of children and their mothers, the protests drew national attention. By March, textile companies were giving in to the IWW's demands. The strike inspired dozens more across the country, and they earned more humane conditions for workers. Today, back in the day, January 11, 1964, the Surgeon General told the United States that smoking might not be so healthy. It wasn't the first declaration of tobacco's adverse health effects. But the report, Smoking and Health, report of the Advisory Committee to the Surgeon General of the United States was the most important. In 1957, then Surgeon General Leroy Burney declared on behalf of the U.S. Public Health that there was a causal relationship between smoking and lung cancer. In 1962, JFK's Surgeon General, Dr. Luther Terry, led the committee that began looking into tobacco smoke and its negative effects. The committee analyzed more than 7,000 academic research papers over two years. The report was published January 11, 1964, and did reveal a link between smoking and emphysema, heart disease, underweight newborns from women who smoke, and a 70% increase in mortality rate. The report led directly to the passing of several laws restricting cigarette advertising and labeling, Tobacco industry continues to pay a lot of movies to make sure people smoke in them. And today, back in the day, January 11th, 1963, Alice Day Pratt passed away at the age of 90. Born in Minnesota in 1872, Pratt moved to Oregon at 40 years old. She began a 160-acre homestead in Crook County, where she raised chickens, cows, hay, and wheat. After 18 years of homesteading and teaching in rural Oregon, she was forced to move to New York due to economic challenges, and in New York, Pratt grew her celebrity by publishing several books and articles relating to her experiences in the Oregon high desert. She wrote two children's books, Animals with Sagebrush Ranch in 1931, and Animal Babies in 1941. Pratt was vegetarian. She wrote about the effects of humans and domesticated animals on natural landscapes. One of her key works, A Homesteader's Portfolio, was reprinted by Oregon State University Press back in 93. Today we have an interview with Ashton Simpson, new executive director of Oregon Walks. And first up, X-ray. It is time for today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. So speaking of protested Capitol buildings, not in the United States Capitol, but in the Oregon Capitol, who let the protesters in? Sounds like it was, and looks like it was, Republican Representative Mark Neerman. During a special session on December 21st, demonstrators stormed the Oregon Capitol building, some carrying guns using pepper spray, many without masks or face coverings. And they are protesting coronavirus restrictions, trying to interrupt that special session. Some demonstrators physically attacked journalists who were reporting on the event. At least one person was arrested after trying to enter the Capitol by breaking the window in the door. But protesters were able to gain entry when a door was deliberately left open for them. question was, who let them in? A surveillance video released on Friday clearly shows that Representative Mark Nearman of Independence, Oregon, intentionally left a door open at the Capitol building to let those demonstrators in. And further, he seems to have bragged about it in a somewhat cryptic post on his personal Facebook page. His post the next day, Is there something that I could get away with by claiming that my glasses were fogged up due to my mask? Asking for a friend. And in the video, Neerman could be seen opening two doors and propping one open while demonstrators rushed in. State police quickly intercepted them, but not before some of them used pepper spray. Six troopers were allegedly hit with the spray to arrests were made. Speaker Tina Kotek has announced her support for sanctions to any lawmaker that aided in the incident. And that's still being investigated by the Oregon State Police.
1: And now it's time for your daily dose of data. The Oregon Health Authority reported 1,225 new cases of COVID-19 on Sunday, with two new deaths. This brings the death toll to 1,605. Oregonians are doing our part to stop the spread of the virus. New data shows that our efforts are working. Oregon is the fourth best state in the country at keeping the virus at bay. We are currently reporting about 2,833 cases per 100,000 people. To put that in perspective, Vermont, which has the lowest rate in the nation, has about 1,288 cases per 100,000 people. And North Dakota has the highest rate in the nation with 12,269 cases per 100,000 people. Washington is doing pretty well, too. They are ranked fifth right behind Oregon and ahead of New Hampshire. All this goes to show that our efforts are working, so keep it up, Oregon.
0: Sarah, Iannarone has a new gig. She's become the executive director of the Street Trust. Iannarone ran a strong campaign for mayor against Ted Wheeler after forcing him to a runoff in the May primary. And now, she'll become the head of the Street Trust, formerly known as the Bicycle Transportation Alliance. It's a transportation advocacy organization that has had strong ties with city leaders for many years. Ironron has a background on issues around bicycle safety and alternative transportation advocacy. She told the Oregonian she's excited to bring her voice and vision to the organization, raise awareness for the city's traffic fatality issues, and fight over the controversial Rose Quarter freeway expansion. City Commissioner Joanne Hardesty praised her appointment. Hardesty just took over the Transportation Bureau, we talked about that last week, and had endorsed Diane Rohn from mayor after pulling her support from Wheeler late in the mayor's race.
1: Oregon House Minority Leader Christine Drazen has laid out her priorities for the 2021 session. The Canby Republican lawmaker is beginning her first long legislative session as minority leader later this month. She says this term her top priorities are ensuring a smooth vaccine rollout, and getting kids back to school. Drazen wants to put pressure on OHA for its slow vaccine rollout, and she suggested that hospitals should have more leeway to vaccinate varying populations. She's advocating for funding for regular COVID testing at schools in order to get kids back in classrooms in a safe manner. Drazen is optimistic that the parties can work together. She said, quote, "'We've had quite a year with COVID and wildfires, And despite the strong supermajority they, Democrats, have in Oregon with single-party control, we did have the opportunity to work together on the first three special sessions and effectively respond to calls for additional police reforms and accountability and changes to the Employment Department in response to COVID. There's an extensive track record of the two parties working well together. Oregon's long legislative session is set to begin on January 30th.
0: The world's oldest orangutan was laid to rest this week at the Oregon Zoo. In 1961, Inji was brought to America through the then-legal wild animal trade and arrived at the zoo when she was thought to be around one year old. That puts her age at about 61. It's a long life for an orangutan. Most in the wild, only live about 40 years. The decision to euthanize her was not taken lightly. Apparently, her health was deteriorating rapidly. In the past week, she stopped eating or responding to medication. The zoo said their plans to honor Engie when its new primate enclosure opens in the spring. Zookeeper Bob Lee had this to say, Engie's ability to connect with people was incredible. She inspired generations. And now Engie, making me very sad.
1: And finally, good news is hospitals in Oregon are now offering vaccines to all their employees, not just those on the front lines. Many Oregon hospitals have expanded the list of who is eligible for the vaccine now saying that anyone who works in the hospital is able to get one. In most states, only those in direct contact with COVID patients are initially eligible, but as Oregon lags behind other states in vaccine distribution, Governor Kate Brown has decided to open up the eligibility requirements. The move means that administrators, janitorial staff, and any others who work in the hospital can now get a jab in the arm. The Oregon Health Authority has set a goal of of administering 12,000 vaccines a day by the end of this week. According to Governor Brown, quote, that will put us on track to deploy every vaccine we have in our hands each week. OHA will be working with healthcare providers, pharmacies, and local public health partners to streamline the distribution process to achieve that goal. And that's today's today's Quick Quick 6 Local Rundown. X-ray. Ashton Simpson is the new Executive Director of Oregon Walks. Simpson, who's a recent candidate for House District 47 in East Portland, talks with X-Ray's Julia Oppenheimer about his vision for Oregon Walks and getting us all involved in making it happen. Here are Ashton and Julia. Good morning.
2: You are listening to X-Ray in the Morning. My name is Julia And I am joined now by Ashton Simpson, the newly appointed executive director of Oregon Walks. It would be hard to find someone more qualified for the role than Simpson. He's worked as a community organizer for the Rosewood Initiative, the Fixing Our Streets Oversight Committee, and the the Rose Lane Advisory Committee. Now he'll be taking the helm at Oregon Walks, a nonprofit that pushes for better and safer walking conditions across the state. Good morning, Ashton.
3: Good morning, good morning. How are you doing this morning?
2: I'm doing pretty good this morning, although it's a little dark and a little early. How are you?
3: I'm same. Same here. I'm uh actually on standby waiting for my eight year old to get up. I beat him to the punch today.
2: Oh, <laughs> is he doing the remote schooling thing?
3: Oh yes, oh yes. It's uh it's coming along. It's coming along.
2: Yeah, I'm not a parent, but all my friends who are say it's it's been a crazy year for school. <laughs>
3: Oh, yeah, I know. I can't wait till we get to back to some point of normalcy for our 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 youth, man. This is this has been a really hard time for them, and that's it's really concerning. But you know, we're here today to talk about Oregon walks. We can talk about uh, <laughs> virtual learning another day, right?
2: Absolutely. So, uh, congratulations on your new appointment. Thank you. What? Thank you. Uh, tell me a little bit about Oregon walks. So, Oregon walks uh, was founded back in 1991.
3: Uh, so we're almost a 30 year old, um, nonprofit organization. And at the time it was called the Willamette pedestrian coalition. Um, it, it got an update uh, a few years back under uh, Steph step but, um, Oregon Walks is an organization that wants to ensure every Oregonian has access to walking. And when I say access to walking, walking infrastructure, sidewalks, crosswalks, improved lighting, and just able to get out and use that as a uh, regional travel option um, and do it safely because um, I live out in East Portland, and as we all know, East Portland has been sorely disinvested in over many, many years. And one of the things that uh, has not been paid attention to is the pedestrian infrastructure within this area, which is now on everybody's radar, which is good, but we need to move a little bit faster because. Uh, pedestrian lives are at stake every day, um, especially down the 122nd, one of the uh, deadliest, if not the deadliest, high crash corridor in this city.
2: Why do you think that is that East Portland has been so neglected? I mean, it's 2021. We should have sidewalks in our city, right? Right. You know, I mean,
3: that just goes all the way back to the annexation, you know, back in the day, they they brought in the sewer lines, right, Mm -hmm. and they connected us through water, but you have to think like you have to complete a community and you just can't bring in one utility and not think about the rest uh, because people live there, right? Uh, people live, right? Exactly. We want the, those people to have the same access that those who live in city center and affluent neighborhoods have access to transit, to jobs, education, parks, and rent. these same people out here need the, the same facilities.
2: Absolutely. So what is, your, uh, what is your course of action? What's your vision?
3: Well, right now, <clears throat> first, getting out in communities where it's not walkable and talking with residents and helping them to um, expand their awareness and education around walking safety and the importance of it, all the, the benefits from environmental to health, um, and also thinking about going into those communities and advocating in a way to show them that, look, you need to be a part of this process. So for me, getting them involved in civic engagement activities, as you pointed out, I'm on the Fixing Our Streets Oversight Committee. So everywhere I go, I tell folks, look, we have about a 15 to 20 minute public comment period that rarely gets used because the public doesn't show up, show up to these things because it's, it's important, especially out in East Portland, if we hear from East Portland residents directly as an oversight committee, we can continue to make sure that those improvements come to this area. So for me, getting folks involved,
2: mm-hmm. that's where
3: I'm at, getting folks involved and expanding the Oregon Walks family because it's Oregon Walks. Everybody in Oregon should have access, to, again, to walking facilities, biking facilities. It seems and, like such a simple thing. And, you know, thing. like you said, we're in 2021. We said this, this is, should be a no-brainer at this point.
2: Absolutely. I mean, it just seems so simple. People should be able to walk in their neighborhoods. A few years ago, Oregon Walks released a study that, among other things, shows that black Portlanders were nearly three times more likely than average to be killed in pedestrian collisions. How is Oregon Mm -hmm. Walks addressing that concerning statistic?
3: You know, we have to continue to hold space and have affinity groups around um, walking justice to me, and that's what I call it, walking justice, because (laughs) I am a black man, and I live in a neighborhood that is, uh, that does have sidewalks and, you know, some crosswalks and lighting, but I also don't feel safe as a black man, especially given the current climate to walk down the street by myself. Mm. Um, that, that's, again, that's, that's another thing that's sad about, you know, the current state of affairs that we're in, but we have to start to reclaim our autonomy and getting back out there in the streets and saying, Hey, we are citizens too. We belong here and we have the right to walk wherever we want to without anyone harassing us.
2: Man, that statement is like is pretty, pretty amazing in so many ways, like in the in the environment of racial justice protests we've had going on. You could hear you could repeat that statement in many different scenarios and have it be very true. We you have the right to walk down the street safely. You should have yeah. the right to walk down the, we should all have the right to walk down the street safely my name is julia oppenheimer i am talking with ashton simpson of oregon walks how does pedestrian safety and public transit intersect with issues like race racial and environmental justice
3: well i mean just think about communities of low income and uh high rates of people of color like they don't have again the infrastructure is not there so let's 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 think about this if you roll down stark right Mm -hmm. you get past 155th you start to see the change in community makeup then you get down to 82nd and it slowly the 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 urban build the urban build-out changes and then you get well past that to you know to 84 and past uh 82nd and uh 84 eastbound and you're just like, wow, what, what happened? The last, the last gate totally changed. And yeah, the intersection, right. Exactly. And it's like, well, all right. If the city, and when I say the city, the the folks who own the public right away, they understand and they know the, the needs that are going on in these communities because they have equity lenses. Right? And, it, right. and with all of their equity lenses, every check mark in East County checks off because it's been neglected. So for me, race, policy, and environment intersect because we often live on the high crash corridors where it's five-lane roads with a lot of uh, carbon emissions coming out. So you, first of all, that's the health issue right mm-hmm. there. Then it's the heat island effect because there's lack of street trees, lack of covering, and, and, and green top canopy. So in the summertime, now you're overheating folks because they are in concrete islands. And then you think about that and you're like, well, why is all that concentrated in only a few areas in the city? Yeah. Particularly in East County, where we have a high population of diverse individuals, particularly young folk, too. Why? It's
2: it's so interesting that you bring up the trees because, you know, Portland's known as a city of trees. And we, you know, I when you fly into Portland or something, you just see all these beautiful trees everywhere. But it is totally true that that East portland is is lacking in its its greenery in a lot of cases along with you know grass instead of sidewalks but no trees in those areas
3: right and, and you know that that's what my role is now it's like to continue working with our our uh you know government agencies and city folk and elected officials to to raise these concerns and make sure that these issues get addressed because guess what we can't allow East Portland to continue to look like this and feel like this for too much longer. It has to change. And when it does and we get those items and issues fixed, we have to move on to other communities that also face the same challenges within Oregon. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm an Air Force vet. One of the things that we love to do is hurry up and wait, right? And so, like, for me, I'm always – I have a high motor. I love to go, 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 go. And the sooner I can get East Portland um, pedestrian infrastructure looked at and addressed, I can turn my attention to other communities that I know are impacted by the same issues. What are some of those
2: other communities? um, Excuse me? Oh, what are some of those other communities?
3: Well, I mean, you have to look out in Gresham, right? Mm -hmm. You can look out, um, some folks live out as far as Hairview and uh, Troutdale, look at, I I mean the whole Portland metro area. Yeah. And then right. And so like thinking about that there's also places in like rural communities that I know um if we once we have the capacity to reach out to rural and indigenous communities around their walking needs I'm I'm sure issues will come up because I'm also a community development major and one of the things that um you, number one rule in community development is you don't go into a community and tell folks what you think they need. So you Literally, you go into a community and you shut up and listen. And,
2: and listen, yeah.
3: Exactly. So for me, going into another community outside of Portland means I'm, my listening ears are on. Tell me what it is you need in your community so that we can um, highlight that issue and expand education and awareness around it.
2: So in your community in East Portland, what is the most important infrastructure you need right now? Is it sidewalks? Is it crosswalks? Is it bridges uh, and overpasses?
3: Improved lighting. I will tell you, um, that is key. If you've ever been to East Portland, especially like as far out as 162nd, it's night and day, literally, uh, from night and day, uh, you go out at nighttime is a whole nother environment. I mean, you can't see you have cars whizzing up and down 162nd, a five lane road, which I mean, come on, realistically, do you need a five lane road cutting through a residential? No. And you know, uh another thing is that uh side, you know, there are some areas where sidewalks exist in East Portland, but you have to they're not compliant. And when I say compliant, they're not ADA compliant. Mm. They they're not for our folks who have physical um, disabilities. If you have if you're in a chair, a wheelchair and there's street furnishing furnishing furnishings in the sidewalk i.e light poles mailboxes and you can't maneuver around them and because the sidewalk width is too short that's out of compliance and we see a lot of that around in east portland um we also see i mean our collectors i can think of maine san rafael and 117th Um, these are roads that cut right through residentials uh that are connected to um activity nodes like shopping centers um parks and schools that don't have sidewalks for a majority portions of them and it's like well come on now like common sense these are roads that we know that folks utilize to walk their children to school to walk to stores um grandparents and, and and folks i know in my community they walk every day for exercise if you don't feel safe getting out on a road right outside of your house then you know what are, we, what are we doing here?
2: Absolutely. So what's the first step? Talking to city council? I mean, obviously the first step is talking to your community, which you already mentioned, but where do you go from here? Do you lobby the city council? Do you lobby the transportation department?
3: You know, you, you, you well, first of all, again, you listen to the community or you organize around them. You bring awareness. Now, if this was not COVID, you can say we can organize a walk where we, you know, we, work with the residents right there in that area to highlight a walk where we can invite those elected officials out and those government agencies, um, folks out to come and walk with us Mm -hmm. with the community so they can see it. But given this time of COVID, yes, it's absolutely that, um, you know, I'm going out, uh, taking their concerns and elevating them until we can do things safely because we have to remember we're running, we're in a pandemic right now and, uh, it's a raging fire. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, I'll leave it at that because <laughs> 2020 was hard and um, 2021, you know, it's starting to look a little bit like 2020 and that's disheartening, but, you know, we have to make sure that, one, we're keeping our residents safe and that, you know, folks like myself who understand transportation systems can elevate their concerns and their issues, I'm all for it.
2: Absolutely. We are about to start the 2021 legislative session here at the end of the month. Um, are there any specific policies or proposals that are on your radar?
3: Uh, no, not at this time. Uh, I honestly, I'm trying to get my feet under me. I, I just started Monday absolutely. at Walks. <laughs> so you don't you have know, your whole I, I'm really future thinking about uh, just you know getting my feet under me and understanding um, more community needs around Portland.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, Ashton Simpson, thank you so much for joining me this morning. If people want to get involved in Oregon Walks, what's the, what's the best way to do it?
3: Absolutely. So you can find us on uh, all social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, uh, at Oregon Walks. And also you can go to our website, OregonWalks.org. And if you believe in what we're doing and you know that people need walking infrastructure, please donate because all that does is expand our capacity to help more people.
2: Absolutely. So that's uh, OregonWalks.org or find them on social media. Well, Ashton, thank you for joining me and uh, good luck with the new job. And I look forward to talking to you a bunch more in the future.
3: Absolutely. Thank you. And I appreciate you holding space for me this morning.
0: Thanks to Ashton for joining The Local. Thank you for listening to The Local, your hometown, in about 30 minutes. Thanks for subscribing and giving a five-star review. Thank you, democracy. Talk to you tomorrow.
2: That's right.